Hey guys, this is Michael from the Signal Noise Podcast, and I'm here with Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey man, how's it going? I'm feeling like Oprah right now. <laughs> you get a prize. You get a prize. You get a prize. Everybody gets a prize. Well, maybe, maybe not everybody. Like maybe two or three, but it's all good. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Before we jump into this week's episode, we just want to let you guys know that we are very much looking forward to celebrating our fiftieth signal noise podcast episode we're going to be doing it live as a stream it's going to be on our facebook it's going to be on the pro sound web youtube and uh chris we got some cool giveaways and stuff right yeah thanks to our sponsor audix microphones uh they're donating a pair of a150 headphones um and we also have professional wireless systems have donated to uh either uhf or vhf you can choose depending on what gear you're using um inline rf filters uh so that's some some pretty cool uh some pretty cool prizes it is and also uh we are going to be giving away a digital download of mike green's uh newest album called restart mike green is of course the singer songwriter who wrote the theme song for our podcast and something i'm really looking forward to personally mike green's going to be closing out our live stream with a live performance heck yeah it's um, awesome so make sure you check the link in the description of this episode for more information on the 50th celebration and how you can enter the giveaway to win cool stuff and with that i think uh on to the episode you are listening to the signal to noise podcast on the pro sound web podcast network sponsored by audix i wish i could break free back to where i'm supposed to be Welcome back. Here we are. You know, Chris, I still I dig that intro, man. I know I keep saying it, but I, every time I hear it, I'm like, man, that's nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, did, I did it for your mom. I did it for your mom. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll let her know. Um, I think that's probably the only part of the podcast that she's interested in listening to. Oh, okay, cool. You're, 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 you're. Um, so you're, you're, you're joining us from the road tonight. Is that correct? Yes. It's a strange thing um, that we, I guess we, we're supposed to do normally is actually do shows and, um, <laughs> And, and instead of just sit here and talk to people, so uh, yeah, I, um, I yeah, I'm doing a real gig uh, out of town, which is uh, which is kind of bizarre and cool at the same time. So, do you have to kind of like find your sea legs again? Yeah, I definitely. It's funny. I, w- I was joking with some guys, you know, at, at work the other day. I'm like, man, when everybody comes back out of this, man, people are going to be rusty, like you know, on just everything. And sure enough, today it's like I went to like you know find them some menus on a console. I'm like, oh yeah, like I mean, it wasn't like I was lost, but it was like okay, I you know, it's pro- it's been two months or so since I've like mixed a show or more. So it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you, you get rusty. Yeah, you up, do. Up you is do. louder. i i did a challenge uh it's based on ryan o'john's mix 45 challenge and basically you start from a factory blank console you get a set of multi-tracks you get 45 minutes to put together the best show file you can for those tracks and me and and willa and samantha potter and my friend david we did it and it was funny because it's amazing like you said chris how quickly you get rusty on your console i mean i you know i've i've used pretty much exclusively my my one console for years now and i was still like wait where's that setting i mean it's amazing how quickly you fall out of that if you're not doing it regularly so that was a little scary <laughs> yeah and it was some it was just like some of the routing stuff too it's like you know like i have a start a big start file from the corporate stuff that i do and um and just kind of you know you know and and this particular show just requires a little bit more routing because there's more uh, webcast and ifbs and just little things that maybe aren't on my average corporate gig and so um and just making sure you know we're making sure i'm routing things properly and testing it so it's um yeah yeah, it's it's good though it's a good exercise 
Speaking about routing things properly, our guest this time out, uh, Mr. Ike Zimbel. He's an audio professional. He's been an audio professional for over 35 years. So he's been in the business longer than I've been alive and probably wait, longer than you've been alive too, right, Chris? Uh, um, well, around the same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a secret. Everyone knows how old you are now. He's <laughs> Ike is a specialist in high channel count RF coordination. He's also worked as a live sound engineer, recording engineer, audio supervisor for TV broadcasts. His recent work includes RF coordination for tours by Shania Twain. Hugh Jackman and Taylor Swift and quote a whole lot of sports events and he's written some great articles for ProSign Web that you can check out in the description of this podcast. Ike, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So what do you mean by a whole lot of sports events? Tell us about that. Well, uh, when I'm not touring, which uh, I'm hoping to do less of, um, I mainly do uh, sports events as a frequency coordinator. And uh, they have included things like uh, quite a number of the NHL outdoor hockey games, um, the uh, Canadian football championships, which is the Grey Cup, um, uh, did some football games uh, in the States last year, one at Notre Dame and another one at the Cotton Bowl. And... uh, just a soccer tournament in 2016 that was like West Coast, East Coast, West Coast kind of thing. Uh, and that one included the opening and closing ceremonies. So there was quite a bit of extra stuff to coordinate for that. And, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. So, so I, when you when you get, you know, okay, we have, you know, 200 frequencies or 300 frequencies i mean those are those are frequency counts that mere mortals would would run screaming from the room so what's what how do you approach that what you know what's your kind of macro plan when you're dealing with that type of stuff well uh just uh, for tonight's exercise i actually uh, brought up the uh frequency coordination report for the nhl all-star game which uh did in uh, st louis uh, it was my gig this year and uh uh it actually it's funny, the copy I'm looking at says 474 frequencies listed, but I looked at the actual file the other day, and uh, there was 478. So this was a printout I did slightly before the event was over. It says, actually, it's the time on this is 2 p.m., uh, and uh, so that means that probably a few more reporters came in after that. But... Um, The process, uh, you know, everything, it's the same thing as, you know, uh, you know, doing your console setup challenge. Where do you start? You know, you start with the first channel, uh, and then you do the second one. So the way, uh, a sporting event would typically unfold is, um, depending on, on the event, who I'm working for and that sort of thing, uh, I might get a site inspection, but otherwise, uh, like in this particular instance, um, the head of uh, RF for the NHL at the time uh, was uh, went to the uh, arena and did a site inspection, did scans, uh, got with the house people, found out what uh, frequencies they were using inside the house and all that, and sent that that information to me. Uh, so I would start with that information. Uh, I use uh, IAS the uh, Frequency Coordination Program from Professional Wireless, which is uh, the industry standard for large, uh, large-scale events, and has been uh, 
pretty much since its inception in the late 90s. And um, so I would start to build the file from that. So first thing I'd do is uh, import the scan. Uh, second thing would be to enter the house uh, frequencies um, because as much as possible, we don't want them to have to uh, make accommodations for us as guests and so on. So um, try and keep that in place. And then um, information starts to come in from uh, multiple sources over the next couple of weeks prior to the event. And that information is going to be broken down into a few different streams. There's going to be, uh, there's always a host broadcaster. Um, then there may be like a secondary broadcaster. Uh, and they're going to need uh, IFBs. They're going to need to talent mics. They may need, uh, depending on the sport, they may need like parab parabolic mics or, you know, other uh, RF mics for capturing the actual game. Uh, not a huge amount of that in hockey. Uh, there's going to be wireless intercom systems. Uh, and then there's pretty much always uh, for the, the sporting events that I do, there's pretty much always some kind of uh, halftime show, pregame and halftime show. So there's going to be, um, you know, musical talent uh, stuff in there as well. And that's the kind of stuff that you're hopefully going to get in advance and hopefully have in place by the time, uh, you know, that I, by the time I show up, uh, you know, maybe three, four days before the actual game. So are you responsible for reaching out to each of these parties or is there someone who wrangles that for you and you're simply just taking you know quantities and types and putting them into IAS or how much of that do you have to actually go out and interface people to get that data uh it's a cooperative effort um i mean after a while you get to know people um so uh you know people know to get in touch with me i know to get in touch with them kind of thing so um you know typically uh, the host broadcaster, you know, might be, for example, a company like CP communications or something might be providing their equipment. So either somebody who's at CP, who's the account manager for that file or somebody at the host broadcaster, who's in charge of that end of the technical thing will, will reach out to me and say, you know, here's the stuff that we're bringing, or here's what we would like to bring, you know, do you see any issues with it? Um, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, it's just sort of, uh, but I would be reaching out to a number of people. Uh, some people would be reaching out to me. It's just all sort of comes together kind of organically. It's not really any different from, uh, advancing shows that, you know, I used to do when I managed a sound company back in the nineties. What, what about the gear side? Uh, are you involved in specking gear or, or like, or is it just purely people are, are telling you what gear they're using and you're purely coordinating frequencies? Uh, it's, it's more of the latter. Like I, um, will sometimes get, uh, you know, get far enough ahead of things that I can suggest 
to uh, people. For example, there's a company here in Toronto, RF Wireless, who supply uh, things like helmet cams and uh, they they do a lot of golf. They they do a lot of specialized sports RF kind of stuff, and they're typically involved on some level. And uh, so sometimes you know they'll call me up and say, "Well, we you know we can either send this or this, which is better for you know mm-hmm. your coordination." And sometimes I can reach out to them and say, "You know, if you haven't packed it yet, it would be better if you use this range rather than that range." Um, uh, but for my career, um, I've seldom been involved in something early enough that I'm actually working on like the initial band plan and saying, okay, you know, I want all of the in-ears in, in this band and I want all the, the, uh, the mics in this band and that kind of thing. Uh, I've had to do a lot of kind of rolling with whatever came in off the truck or, you know, and in this case, and it's a much bigger puzzle, and it's just sort of, uh, you know, fitting together what what comes in. Sure. So you, you mentioned one key thing there. Maybe we're, we're jumping a gun on what we want to get into. Um, you mentioned band planning, um, and that's a pretty integral part uh, in in the in the you know laying out within the spectrum. Um, so I guess when it comes to that band planning, especially within certain manufacturers and stuff like that, certain companies are only going to have you know they're going to have restrictions, I guess, on where you can place those things. So how do you uh, how do you juggle that? And is that the biggest part that you really have to juggle is put, putting people in the right bands? Um, I I do something that I call dynamic band planning, which basically means uh, that uh, I'm doing it let's say not quite on the fly, but I'm doing it um, as I'm doing the coordination. So, uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it means, you know, this TV channel has got in-ears in it and this next TV channel has, uh, has, uh, you know, transmitters, mics and stuff in it. It, it really depends on how much spectrum is available um, and uh, what the equipment is. So, you know, as much as possible, you're trying to give everything. Uh, I'm, I'm very particular about, uh, you know, putting things in their own private Idaho, as I say, you know, and 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 um, and sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes I get some pushback from some of the A2s that are setting this stuff up and they're going, you know, like, yeah, you gave me all frequencies that are like all together. And I go, yep. And I am going to <laughs> protect that. Does that uh, does that A2 realize there's 400 freaking frequency? Like, uh, come on, like, you know, generally, the, generally they're all great, and and uh, I mean, sometimes you know, people have been doing it one way or another for you know 30 years, and you go, know, oh well, you know, well, this is a, this is a little different. Um, it's and you have to remember too, like these same people with the same equipment can you know show up at a game the day after. And there's no frequency coordinator. And, you know, they have to go back to the, all that, you know, I'm going to do this. And the, you know what I mean? So so I respect the fact that, that you know, they're on the front lines and they have to make it work. But, um, you know, as I've gotten to know more of them and, and, and more importantly that they've gotten to know me, it's kind of gotten to the point where it's like, 
if I say I'm giving you these frequencies, then I, you know, pretty much guarantee that I'm not going to stick anybody else in be in in your patch of turf, and that I'm going to be very aggressive about defending your patch of turf if somebody shows up and and uh, isn't you know where they're supposed to be, and uh, it's worked quite well for me. So. Um, yeah, sorry. I think that's that question answered. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it was great. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see, you know, obviously the larger events have been no stranger to RF coordination, but on, on the smaller side of things and even schools, local theaters, churches, that type of venue, I mean, I've really watched over the last maybe four years them go from, well, what are you talking about when you mention coordination to they're starting to get the picture that, you know, hey, you can't just go and fire up 24 channels and expect it to just work out of the box. You know, you got to do you got to do a little leg room, leg, leg work there. Um, you know, and, and even one of the theaters I work at, I mean, they put a cell tower up uh, next door to it during the sell off and they had to go out and all of a sudden none of their none of their comps worked. And, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they so so really what I found is showing someone that scanner really because it's kind of it's kind of esoteric you know a lot of people are not used to thinking about stuff like i can't see these invisible radio waves it's just they don't spend brain space on that but um to show them look here's you know you can see where this energy is and so what we need to do is get your gear operating in these other places where where it's not going to get stepped on and then people start to go okay there's something to this you know they kind of thought you were nuts at first but there's really been a shift and I think that's starting to trickle down and people are really starting to pay attention to the fact that coordination is really something you do want to be thinking about if, if you want to have your show work, you know? Yeah. I, I uh, was doing a, a TV show, a variety show here in Toronto or early, early two thousands. And, and, uh, um, I, w- I was still using, uh, the old, uh, Vega DOS based, <laughs> uh, frequency coordination program. Anyway, um, Zimbel's first law of RF, which we may as well get into right now, is is that the amount of RF that you're told is going to be on an event is never, ever, ever, there's three evers in there, uh, is never, <laughs> ever, ever the amount that's actually on it. And 99.5% of the time, there's going to be more. So uh, when I was st- started on this show, they said, oh yeah, it's going to be eight channels of wireless. And then Oh, and then there's a wireless intercom. And then, oh, the band couldn't hear themselves, so they had to be on in-ears. And at the time, they were PSM 600s. And it was, you know, it, it kind of came in in bits, well, you know, that's going to be the front guy on in-ears. And then, oh, well, this guy wants and this. Anyway, by the time we got to, like, all of the house band members, um, and this was actual PSM 600s with their two frequencies and everything. And uh, so the last one shows up, and, like, I can basically only one of the two frequencies is going to work. And I said to the the guy doing monitors, I said, uh, so yeah, I got one. You got to use frequency two for this guy. And, and um, people still like, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. And um, I think he was testing me because they put it on the, let's say it was the bass player or something. And about five minutes in, he goes, Oh, I'm getting these kind of weird kind of like chirping sounds or something in my ears. Is there something we can do about that? And I went up and looked and sure enough, the guy had put it on frequency one. And, um, you know, I think he was 
kind of testing to see if there was anything in what I was saying, you know. Mm. So switched it to frequency two, it all worked. And then, you know, they all kind of, you know, just looked at me a little bit different. Went, oh, okay, maybe there's something to this. So, yeah, Michael, I think you're right. It is starting to become a more um, common thing. Yep. I, I mean, think that's been to me like getting just getting the powers that be at these smaller production companies like to you know no I you know give me ten minutes to scan and deal with this before you start handing out mics like to convince them that that was worth it you know as an investment um, particularly on corporate stuff there's just one corporate gig that I that I do a couple times a year and it's literally a couple hundred feet from a, a military airport. And so there's all kinds of stuff flying around out there and, and they sort of had gotten used to taking wireless hits, you know, like kind of just, just weird behaviors were just, that was just kind of the, the fact of the matter for them until I said, no, let me, let me scan this and, and let, let's, you know, it's, it's only six frequencies, but you know, let me, let me just try to coordinate this. And, and then that was the first time that they didn't have weird dropouts and stuff happening. And then they kind of went like, Oh, okay. Like now, I see what you're talking about because I think a lot of people just expect wireless to do weird stuff. Well, and you doesn't know, necessarily have to. <laughs> that, that's that's one of my frustrations because my my standard, my standard is zero problems, and um, so you know I go and do a show and there's zero problems on it. And you think, okay, great. I'll just you know wait for them to call me the next time and. They, they don't, you know, they use somebody else or, the, you know, they don't do it or whatever. And part of the thing is, though, is that people expect to have problems with wireless. Yep. So if they do a show and they have problems with wireless, their expectations have been met. So um, so they're not just automatically thinking, oh, this has there has to be a better way to do this because they're just used to there being problems with it. And uh, sometimes convincing people that it's worth paying the money to have somebody come and, you know, actually look after that and have zero problems is just like it's it can be a bit of a hard sell. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we've you know, I uh, there's a, a good friend of mine owns a small rental company around here. And, you know, around spring, every high school and college is, is hitting them up for to rent some some wireless. And, and so you're talking about people that they're generally volunteers. And and so they do no audio for, you know, for. 50 weeks out of the year and then for two weeks out of the year they're trying to do 24 channels of you know but they rented it from three different places so they've just got eight channels of this stuff and eight channels of this stuff and then they want to just go in and fire it all up and and uh you know he'll always say you know hey i got a guy that, that can coordinate this for you before it goes out or you know he'll come out and and scan it and, and go through it with you and they're like no no, no we don't pay for that and and then every time they'll call back and say well it doesn't work yeah, he's like, well, you know, remember, remember that that coordination that we talked about. You didn't want to pay for, so so, so then we go out and end up doing it. But yeah, it's kind of like, how do you, what's the, how, how do you do this this PSA kind of like, hey, you don't have to have issues here. You know, this is preventable. Well, some of that's the articles that I've written on PSW, which have been you know quite well read. But um, uh, I'll just tell you, I mean, how I got, uh, how I even became aware of the fact that frequency coordination was a thing. So. Uh, back in the 90s, I was managing a, a sound, a big uh, integrated sound lighting staging uh, company in Toronto. And, um, it, you know, they, they took great pride in, in, you know, when they rented, well, any RF that went out of the shop, they would walk test it in the shop, you know, to make sure that the range, you, you know, that at least it didn't, I mean, really all that could tell you is that like a transmitter 
if a transmitter, say, had a detached antenna inside or anything. But it was one of the things they were doing. But so it wasn't like they were just throwing it in boxes and sending it out the door. And uh, I kept finding that, you know, come Monday morning, you know, the folks from the church would be there. Well, how'd it go? Well, it didn't work, you know, or uh, our own uh, crews would come back and say, you know, how'd your show go on the weekend? And um, uh, there's a couple of articles about managing this company also on there. But uh, anyway, after after the basic truckloading disasters and everything were resolved uh, and things were running more smoothly, the the one answer that was pretty consistent was, oh, it went fine. You know, we had some trouble with the wireless, but, you know, everything else was great. And somewhere along there around, probably around 1993, I think uh, one of our um, sales reps from one of the company gave me a copy of the Vega uh, coordination program, which really, really crude DOS-based program, and you'd have to, you know, enter manually enter the local television channels, and then manually enter, you know, what separation you wanted, and this and this and this, and then you'd have to audition each frequency, you know, typing in all six numbers, uh, and say, well, you know, what about five hundred point oh seven five? No, no. Oh well, how about five hundred? 100 then nope how about 500 125 you know and um wait, wait well, do you, you don't just hit scan on the front of the unit when when we first started this stuff was actually all vhf and we had we had two sets of inventory we had uh, hme uh, vhf systems which uh had a sort of two frequency arrangement where they had a, a little switch on the front that would would shift the center frequency by not a lot, like three four hundred kilohertz or something like that. Um, and we had these printouts from HME that were lists of microphones frequencies that would work together, and. Um, so, you know, a rental call had come in, you know, somebody wanted to rent six wireless and then you start going through the inventory and, you know, you get up to like maybe four on one list and then you'd hit a brick wall and then you'd, you know, go to it. They were groups basically. So then you'd go to another group and you'd start and you go, oh, you know, I only got three of these. And, you know, it was just a total pain. And then the other inventory was uh, Samson, which was an early phase locked loop, uh, tunable, uh, you know, they had like 16 or 12 or 16 frequencies in them or something like that. Uh, but really, realistically, you couldn't really use the two systems together anyway. So we get this coordination program and suddenly, uh, we don't have to go off the HME lists anymore. We can just start, see what we have in stock and start punching the frequencies in. And, uh, you know, if you get to six and it says you're okay, then you're okay. Uh, and also, um, we could start doing mixed systems of HME and Samson stuff because we could check the frequencies. And after that, you know, Monday morning, how'd the show go? Went fine. You know, how was your rental? Oh, it was great. And um, so the complaints about wireless issues started to just go away. And, uh, I mean, at the time 
I knew there was math. I didn't really know what the math was. I knew that you kind of needed a computer to figure it out. Uh, a lot of the times I wasn't even doing the work, you know, it's like I, my rental manager was doing it or one of his assistants or something. Uh, but I knew that it was a thing. And as I started to get more RF work uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s and so on, I just, I have never done a gig without frequency coordination. And I have had so few problems. Um, you know, all the rest of it, I've kind of, you know, best practices with antennas and all this other stuff. I've kind of picked it up as I went along. And, um, but I started out with frequency coordination. So this whole thing of, you know, RF's a nightmare and, uh, you know, just an accident waiting to happen and all this stuff. I've just have not ever experienced that. So I, I think the the other thing too is in this day and age, like there's there is zero excuse to not do coordination, right? Like, um, you know, uh, there are there are even free programs, and then very you know you know relatively cheap uh, programs as well. Uh, but I mean, just even on a free level, um, you know, there are opportunities that if you 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 don't you don't have an excuse to not do it, right? Uh, other than just being, in my opinion, lazy. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really a question of of the broader industry kind of getting to understand it, and I think to a certain extent early on, I think the manufacturers kind of discouraged the conversation um, because I think they thought that most people wouldn't understand it, and so um, and also I think maybe. Uh, that could have been a sales driven thing because I think that maybe if people thought it was too complicated or, you know, too risky or whatever, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't buy the wireless system. So, um, but now, I mean, you know, with the, the, uh, you know, all the seminars and, uh, you know, the manufacturers have been quite good about reaching out and the fact that they, you know, all have programs like wireless workbench or wireless designer or wireless systems manager, um, uh, and, and, you know, the fact that pretty much everybody had to, uh, get rid of their non-networked, uh, a lot of their non-networked inventory because it was, you know, 700 megahertz mm -hmm. stuff and so on. So suddenly, you know, all the units are, 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 uh, networked, uh, you've got a program that can figure this stuff out. There certainly is less excuse for it now. Um, I remember... The first time I spoke to my friend Richard Stockton, who's one of my uh, colleagues at, at Radioactive Designs, uh, he was working for uh, an AV company somewhere, and he, I guess, saw one of my articles, and he just kind of reached out to me because he was so frustrated uh, because he knew that this was a thing, and the people that he was working for were kind of like the guys that you were talking about, where they go, I don't know, you know, it, it just takes extra time. We don't, you know, don't need to do that and all that. So on. And, uh, um, you know, so I kind of, you know, talked him off the ledge and said, you know, you just got to keep at it. And, and, um, you know, and now that was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And now, you know, 15 years later, it, it has become a more sort of known thing. Um, that, you know, that it needs to happen. And the thing is too, is, you know, when I look at the, uh, I have a, a scan that I did at the much music video awards in like 
2010 or something like that, which is, I think, the first year I did them as an RF person. And uh, it goes from like 470 to, you know, 770 or something like that. And it's like, wow, you know, we had all that room back then, you mm-hmm. know, it was kind of like, you know, one of those things like the 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 old West where man could get on his horse and ride all day and never <laughs> see another, another human being, you know? And uh, now, I mean, it's not like that at all. So, um, Things right, are so, tight. So, so, so you say that, all right, uh, I, I shoot for zero issues, 400 frequencies, cool. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have issues, right? Now, you can't tell me that you don't have RF horror stories or a one or whatever. There's got to be something where, you know. Wait, just, wait. Like, I can answer this, actually, because it's, 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 Ike's, it's my favorite of his articles. On on Proson Web, and uh, you were you were writing about it was 1980, and you were mixing. It's not an RF horror story, but it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, incident. You were submixing drums on a Yamaha PM 180 with the with the yeah. VU meters, yeah. and someone oh, yeah. started heckling you about the VU meters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, uh, you, can you tell that story? <laughs> um, yeah, but let me let me answer Chris's question first. So the first time that I, I got up in front of uh, people and, and talked about RF issues was at a uh, uh, Canadian trade show called the MEAC show, um, which is, I think, since gone away. But um, it was around probably 2006 or so. And uh, anyway, so... Um, one of my colleagues from Sure did a did a talk, and then I got up and did a talk, and then and then we did a Q and A Q&A at the end. And like the first question, guy gets up and goes, "So, what do you do when it all goes to hell?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just I'm just like I'm just thinking, and I you know kind of just turn my head on it's you know a little bit you know, think that finally go i go i don't know man it's never happened to me <laughs> and 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 it still has never happened to me i mean i have had uh things like uh so the theater at madison square gardens um I don't know if you've ever been in it or not, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, uh, we had uh, a BTR system and one of the floor directors, when she keyed, she could talk. But then when, when she took her hand off the key, there was a <laughs> little thing. And, you know, there was a That was pretty much th- every BTR gig I've ever done. <laughs> so, all right, but, but, yeah. but, 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 but go ahead. <laughs> so So that one turned out to be... Um, that there was a uh, an IFB left on upstairs in 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 Madison Square Gardens, so six floors up. Uh, it's coming downstairs at about minus ninety or something like that. But it was like either right on or like twenty five kilohertz off her frequency. And when she opened up her channel, 
you know, she did her transmission. And then as the squelch was closing up again, it was just picking up this little bit of stuff. And so I've had things, um, you know, on the Canadian Country Music Awards a few years ago, uh, there was somebody up in the press room that had a microphone that was, and we weren't, um, that gig didn't have any like the kind of uh, press control that that a lot of other gigs have so they had just wandered in there and they, I never saw them I was down on stage left with the monitor position and uh, you know we were line checking a microphone and it's just got a little fur on it just a little <laughs> kind of thing and uh, turn the mic off and look on the analyzer and there's just a little something there and uh, I you know, demodulated. It had a listen, and I could hear, and it was could hear it was somebody. And I, I, you know, got one of the production gals to run upstairs and and uh, find the guy and shut him down. And so I've had little things like that. I have not had, um, and which is you know not you know the audience is not aware of that. It's something we caught long before it happened. Um, I would say. The uh, hairiest thing that I had also at Madison Square Gardens, I was there with the Shania Twain in uh, 2015 with the Rock This Country tour. And uh, it was my first time doing Madison Square Gardens. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a big deal. And, you know, I've done, I had done gigs in New York, but not a lot. And, you know, it's supposed to be a crowded RF market and all this. And, I got in the morning and I did my scan and it looked all right. And I did my coordination and it still looked fine and got everything allocated and turned on and tested and it was all fine. And it was like, Oh, so far, you know, nothing. And, um, so flash forward, the, uh, the support act is on stage and I get a, a radio from the, the, uh, crew chief. It's also the system tech. And he says, hey, man, I'm out here in front of house and I'm seeing hits like all over the band wireless, like just all over their vocal mics. And I go, OK, here it is. You know, this is it. You know, the other shoe is dropped. So I go, OK, I'm on it. So I go go to the rack. And sure enough, they're, you know, like all six of them are going, you know. And uh, so I get the TTI out and, I, you know, look at the first frequency. And sure enough, like right right on the frequency there's just a little something there oh man what are the chances of that so try another one go to the next frequency sure enough like right there right on the oh man <laughs> I go, oh, this so try you know get to the third one and go wait a minute so it's like well where are the band's headset mics right now well they're in the dressing room you know and they're you know couple hundred feet through a bunch of concrete and a bunch of people's legs and a bunch of bleachers and all that other stuff. And so what was, what I figured out was happening was that the receivers were bravely, bravely, bravely trying to pick up their transmitters and, you know, whatever little bits of their transmitter that was getting through the back hallways and, you know, all that was getting down there and it was opening up the receivers. And then they were just, you know, getting hit with whatever else was around. And so I realized that the thing to do in that situation was nothing because when the band came back down to the stage, 
all of those uh, things were going to, you know, lock on and they were going to be just fine. And they were. But the thing is, is that if I had panicked, if I had run down to the dressing room and said, hey, man, I need everybody's wireless back, you know, take them out of your costumes or whatever, and, you know, rolled six more frequencies and tuned them down at the stage and synced them up and brought them back to the dressing room, you know, seconds before the band had to come down. Well, it would have looked like I fixed the problem by changing the frequencies. Hmm. But, you know, so that's one of the reasons why I say that, you know, having an idea of where stuff is physically located uh, when you're doing a coordination, when you're managing a gig, it's, it's, it's very important because it affects how stuff works or doesn't work. That's a great tip. Great tip. And uh, I discovered that in my own little way. I did a theatrical thing last year and, you know, I, I freaked out the first rehearsal because something took a dive. But then I realized, like, no, he's going to do a costume change and he's th- going through 40 feet of concrete right now. So it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the system. He's just down the hall and it'll come back. So so I think that's a great pit, bit, bit of advice for people is, you know, uh, just kind of have that context of what's going on with your system. And it's not always a big emergency for you. That Yeah, that's one issue. Uh, the The new equipment is great. Um, but some of the error messages that it spits out uh, can get a little bit annoying when it's, you know, interference, interference. It's like, it's not interference. The mic's in the dressing room, you know, so <laughs> it's going to be, uh, and, but I mean, you know, that's kind of part of, part of the gig too. And, and, um, you know, sort of part of managing the RF space. Well, and, it's part of the, it's part of the ex- it's experience too. I mean, you know, it's um, a, a lot of people who maybe are intimidated by you know uh, some wireless is partially because they just haven't had the chance to experience some of the things you've experienced um, or or others. Uh, so I, some of it I think comes with time, and you build that confidence of okay, uh, if I followed X, Y, and Z steps, um, you know, each of these times, and I was able to get that that result. Um, I can I can confidently answer, you know, because you know, had you maybe not experienced something like that before, you might have ran to the dressing room, got the stuff, brought it back, changed the frequencies, took it back to the dressing room. Oh, it still happened again. Up, oh, freak out again, and like in a, in a vicious cycle. And so, some of that just kind of comes from experience. Yeah, some of it's experience. Some of it's kind of laziness too. You know, I was thinking, <laughs> man, I don't want to run down to the dressing. That I mean, sometimes I like sort of I call it constructive laziness. And and I also have another thing. It's like, you know, when there's a problem, you know, you can go, well, what's the worst thing it could be? But I kind of think like, well, what's the best thing it could be? You know, like, oh, that mic's not working. Well, maybe the battery's dead. You know, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, maybe, you know, a a forklift drove over my antenna cables and none of my antennas are in it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like you could easily kind of go down the path of thinking it's some kind of massive disaster but you know it's it's often starts with the well let's just see if it's something easy and Mm -hmm. you know most of the time it is yeah you know and it's kind of like um you know in rf the signal path the signal chain um is a little bit different than obviously than than the rest of the system in that like it's you know since it's in the air and so there's different variables like you know if if a, if a mic were to go dead on stage you know well there's multiple places it could have gone dead right it could be muted it could be mispatched the cable could be broken like all these things but like you said you, you go with like the least common denominator as opposed to oh the whole snake just died you know or yeah. or you know Occam's or the, razor yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah, most likely. Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, 
one of the things that sort of baffles me about um, about people's approach to wireless is, you know, like you guys hang and tune PA systems all day, every day. Have you ever seen a sound wave? Right, right. Yeah, you can't see sound either. And, but, you know, it's like, RF, oh, you can't it see the way, what, you know, It depends like, on what concert you're at uh, and what you're on. Yeah. I mean, oh, wait. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave that alone. I, I had some of those too. But, uh, um, you know, so, uh, but I think uh, you can visualize sound waves. And, in fact, in one of my recent articles, uh, I, I gave that analogy is, is, you know, um, you know, everybody knows that, uh, sound waves bounce around and, uh, that, you know, if you point a line array at a, you know, a a reflective surface, you're going to hear it. And, uh, and so people know that, so they take steps, but, you know, radio waves bounce around too. And, um, they, the tricky thing is, is that they go through some surfaces but then they may bounce off the one behind it, you know. Um, so, for example, uh, they may, you know, penetrate the glass uh, into one of the lounges at an arena, but hit the metal wall at the outside of the arena and bounce from there, you know. So uh, radio waves bounce around too, and it's the reflections, the same as, you know, you get with uh, – with audio that are, you know, that's what, um, that, that's why we have diversity antenna systems to, to, uh, get around the, the dropouts that happen when you get, uh, a direct signal and a reflected signal hitting the same antenna. So, you know, it's just partly a lot of it's just visualizing, uh, trying to visualize what's going on. So this this may be a stupid question, but it's something I've never thought about. You know, so we 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 talk about and can measure what sound waves can cannot go through which type of surfaces, right? You know, there's a coefficient for all that stuff, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, is there such a thing in 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 radio waves of knowing what types of surfaces uh, uh, different levels of frequencies can go through or not, and to what level is that a thing? Um, I'm sure there is. Um, one of the things that I uh, tell people when I teach is that a lot of people that, that, um, are in this business and people that have gone before me and kind of led the way people like James Stoffo and Henry Cohen, uh, who I'm, you know, very thankful to have on speed dial from, uh, partly from, you know, getting to know them, but partly from my, uh, association with the radioactive designs as well, um, is that, a lot of guys that are in this doing what I do are radio guys. And, you know, they built their first, uh, you know, transistor radio when they were eight years old and, you know, got their ham license or whatever. And, and you know, just uh, never met a radio wave they didn't love. And <laughs> um, my uh, background is uh, when I was 16 years old, I got a summer job as a stagehand uh, at the Confederation Center of the Arts in Charlottetown, PEI. Uh, and it was theater, man. It was like, you know, eight o'clock, the house lights go down, the stage lights come up and people go out and, you know, sell it. And, uh, that aspect of the show thing was just magical to me. And so my 
approach the whole time I've been in this industry is that I'm a show guy and I'm all about the show. And the fact is, is that uh, anything that disrupts a show is a bad thing. Um, and so, um, you know, because wireless had so much potential to disrupt a show is why I paid so much attention to making sure that it didn't. So um, I don't know every formula in RF for, um, you know, wave propagation and all that other stuff. But I, you know, I have learned the technical stuff as I've gone along. And, uh, you know, a lot of the frequency coordination kind of thing is, is uh, it, it's as much an organizational thing. Uh, there's a certain amount of, I, I would say, art to it as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just saying I don't know everything there is to know about every radio wave that ever lived kind of thing. So That's okay. Sure. I'm still not coming for your 400 frequency coordination job. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I'm not, you, know I'm not you, don't want, you don't want that gig? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Like the whole time the whole time we've been, we've been talking, I've been kind of scrolling through the uh, – uh, the report for the um, for the All Star Game, and uh, uh, you know what I did because this had sort of come up when we had discussed it earlier is, um, uh, and and we sort of started to talk about how one of these massive coordinations comes together. So um, on an event like this, for example, we also uh, have the walkie talkies are in the coordination now. You don't really have to worry about intermods. You don't really have to worry about that kind of stuff. The main reason you're coordinating them or just entering them in the coordination is kind of like, a, they call it the database. Uh, the NHL refers to it as the database. And the main reason you're in there is um, even though they're all supposed to be licensed and um, you occasionally get things where, for example, a truck will come from the West Coast to do a gig in the center of the country or on the East Coast or something like that. And, you know, one or two of the 16 radio frequencies that the truck has been allocated for their walkie-talkies happens to be uh, a duplicate of, you know, the, you know, the catering channel in the local arena or something like that. So um, that's one reason to do that. But, for example, of the 478 frequencies in that coordination uh 101 of them are either walkie talkies or uh wireless cameras also the um they don't the actual camera isn't at that frequency or in that range but the control for the camera what they call the paint or data is uh, is a, a walkie talkie you know four or five watt frequency um, so there's 101 of the 478 frequencies in there, and just a, 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 I still don't want your 300 gig, <laughs> uh, 300 coordination gig. <laughs> just, just, just a point of interest that I like to point out: the highest walkie-talkie frequency is 469.7385, uh, which is not far from 470.100 or 470.025 or 470 whatever, which is the lowest frequency that like uh 
a G1 in-ear or a G10 UHFR or uh, an Axiom Digital or, you know, D6000 A1 to A4 or some, you know, that, you know, you just kind of need to be a little bit careful at the extreme ends of anything's tuning range because of what's next to it. Um, then uh, just moving on for a little bit, there is... Uh, I think 296 UHF frequencies. Yeah, that's um, the part I was talking about. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's another here's another thing about that though. You know, I'm just looking at the list and and uh, the separation. You know, people talk about separation and and they go, well, um, you know, uh, I'm just it's it's almost like there's a frequency every. 350 to 450 um, kilohertz away, and um, which sounds like insanity. It sounds like suicide, but that's part of knowing where everything physically is in the building. Right, because some of the, some of that could be some of that could be spaced out. Right, some of it could be just outside the arena. Some of it could be you know in uh, locker rooms and stuff that might not be conflicting with something something else up in a control booth and stuff like that. Right, exactly, and, and that's why sort of having the organizational um, mind to to sort of have that mental picture of where everything is. And plus, you know, also like IAS is great for for putting in notes and saying, you know, where this is and where that is and, and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just looking at it now. It's pretty tight for sure. But, you know, the gig, the gig came off perfectly. Uh, I went in uh, during the game when the, uh, you know, when the uh, pregame stuff was, was not being used and there was a rack of UHFR receivers uh, that was probably a, at least a dozen channels and their led displays were dark games on yeah. 478 frequencies in the coordination uh are they all turned on at the same time not really but um you know just to back to the thing about you know my trying to carve out space for everybody is that you know there wasn't a single orange light on in that entire rack so you can do it, you know, you just have to sort of uh, apply yourself and, and, you know, like it's just pay attention to where you're allocating things. So you mentioned a couple of times before we, well, we still got you. I just want to touch real quick. You said radioactive designs and they've got this killer com product, a UV one G and I've got one in my shop right now that yep. uh, James sent me to, to play with. And it's really a pretty remarkably cool piece of kit. Um, so can you talk about that system just, just for a second? So people uh, who maybe aren't familiar with it have an idea of what it is. Yeah. So, uh, James uh, was the, uh, James Stoffa was the, uh, instigator of this design and he, uh, him and uh, Henry Cohen, uh, and, uh, Jeff Shearing were kind of the main guys that got the ball rolling. They're the principals of the company and they saw like, you know, almost 20 years ago, that uh, first of all, Intercom was starting to take up just incredible amounts of of UHF bandwidth uh, for BTR systems and and so on, and uh, so they started looking around for a way to uh, make that um, 
you know, come up with an alternative to it. So the, the RAD system, uh, there's a few, uh, there's a number of innovations in it, but one of it is, is that it uses this, uh, um, I'm gapping out on the technical term, but it, we use the AM, uh, frequency AM modulation, and it's a very, very narrow transmit. It's, uh, absolute maximum is 30 kilohertz wide. Uh, whereas like, uh, you know, even like a, a UHFR microphone, for example, is 200 kilohertz. Um, and, uh, so, and that's the same for the base station, uh, transmits as the pack transmits. They're both 30 kilohertz wide. So they're incredibly spectrally efficient. Um, and, uh, the other, uh, another innovation is that um, the base station transmits in the UHF, the belt packs transmit in the upper VHF, and because of that, you don't have the band splits that you used to have with BTR because they were all in UHF and you had to have the transmits, you know, like 70, 80, you know, maybe more megahertz than that apart from each other. So... Um, you know what with the uh the frequency the 600 megahertz auction and everything there just just wasn't bandwidth left to have uh you know all UHF intercom systems like that so and the other thing about it is because there's no band splits it means that every single belt pack that we've ever sold is compatible with every single base station we've ever sold you know uh you know, Chris is somebody that's, you know, involved in managing an inventory and everything. You can imagine how powerful that is, mm -hmm. you know, not having to, you know, make sure that these six belt packs always go with this base station and, you know, or these four belt packs always go with this base station, that kind of thing. So Absolutely. Um, it's and and the other thing is, is that, you know, the rest of the industry has taken a different turn. They've gone with these um you know, uh, IP-based intercom systems and the decked band and the 2.4 gig and some coming up in 5 gig and that kind of thing. And all of them, uh, because of the latency involved, have what's called uh, local side tone, where they basically generate the side tone right in the pack and you're, you're kind of talking to yourself. And with the RAD system is now the only system uh, still in production that uh, uses a round-trip analog transmission. So if you talk, you're actually hearing your voice come back from the base station. So if you say, hey, man, uh, don't, you know, don't move that chain motor. There's a, there's a cable caught in the, in, the, you know, in the hook or something like that. Um, and you hear yourself say it, then you know that other people on the intercom system heard it you know, if they're listening and, uh, with, a uh, so, you know, for example, in life safety, uh, situations, that's a good thing to have because otherwise, you know, you can call and say, you know, don't go ahead with Q6 because there's a problem with the trap door or something like that. And if your pack is not talking to the rest of the system, you know, you don't know that that got through. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an alternative. It's part of the puzzle. On the um, on the All Star game, I, I had uh, eighteen rad frequencies, which was, I guess, probably three six up systems, and um, you know they also had Bolero on that on that show. We also had uh, Free Speak Two, 
on that uh, because these days uh, you're kind of have to use every arrow in the quiver to get the show done, you know? So it's just another, it's another, uh, it's another product that's out there that can, you know, do the job. And I've been, I've been, I was actually watching the webinar that you guys did about the system. uh, And it's, it's, it's almost so flexible that it's overwhelming. It can route all these different things and you can hook a bunch of them together in a bunch of different ways and, and have them, do you know uh, all sorts of different network layouts? It's really really cool. So um, and and uh, I think probably by the time this episode is out, there will be I'm working on a review of the system for for Live Sound International. So folks that are interested in, should uh, go check their their monthly issue and and uh, check out my thoughts on the system. And uh, of course, there'll be uh, links there so they can go go to the website and learn more about it. Um, Ike, thanks for thanks for your time, man. This was a really fun chat. Yeah, it was great. Uh, uh, you know, before I forget that we were talking about, it was uh, mixing in that bar with oh, the yeah. guy. <laughs> guy uh, so I was uh, had a really great spot in the bar. I was set up in front of this kind of stand-up bar, so I had something around my back, and uh, uh, and there was a you know like a lip on it, so people couldn't pour their drinks down my back and stuff, and. And so I'm, you know, I'm mixing away in the, in the bar, you know, it's like 105 DB in the shade and, and, uh, you know, it's sounding good, everything. And uh, the systems were mono back then. This is like, yeah, it was 1980. So a stereo six channel submixer for the drums. So everything's panned to the left, which means that the right meter is just sitting there. So this guy's sitting, standing there behind me and he taps me on the shoulder, goes, Hey buddy. And I go, what? And he points to the, to the meter, uh, the right meter on the, on the drum mixer. That's not doing anything. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. It's supposed to be like that. And, uh, you know, a couple minutes later, tap, tap, tap. Hey buddy. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I go. I know it's. I know it's all right. I, I was doing lights too. I was doing sound and lights for this band. <laughs> Actually, also was doing things like backline, like guitar string changes and tuning and stuff like that. Like running up to the stage, grab a guitar with a broken string, come back, lighting cue, sound cue, change a string, tune it, bring it back to the stage. Anyway, busy guy. So, so you know. So I get back to it. The guy taps me on the shoulder. Goes, "Hey man, you're ripping us off." I go, "What?" He goes, you're ripping us off. I go, how? He goes, you're not giving us all the sound. <laughs> I'm just kind of shaking my head. And he, he starts like really freaking out. And I just I kind of waved over one of the bouncers and kind of gave him the thumbs, you know, like, get this guy away from me. Thank you very much. And uh, that was that. So, yeah, this, uh, you meet really interesting people in bars, I have to say. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't miss the bar gigs, I'll tell you that. I do a couple a year and I'm always just like, oh yeah, that's why I don't do these. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't miss them either. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ike, thanks for your time, man. This is we had a lot of fun chatting with you and thanks for being on the show. And uh, I uh, certainly encourage everyone uh, to go to the link in the description of this podcast and check out some of Ike's articles on Pearl Sun Web. Thanks, guys. Thank you. 